Salt that has lost its saltiness is useless, Jesus says. Nobody, says Jesus, lights a lamp in a darkened room and then puts a grain basket on top of it. No, you put it up on a lampstand so that it can light up the entire room, don't you? Salt and light. In our Scripture reading for today, Jesus reminds us about the purpose of salt and of light. Salt is for flavor, and light is for seeing. If salt ceases to improve the the taste of a thing, what else is it good for? Jesus asks. If the oil lamp isn't lighting up the room, then why waste the oil? There is something at stake in salt being salty and in lamps lighting up rooms, Jesus needs His disciples to know. Because the salt that He's talking about here today isn't just salt, of course. And the light shining forth from those lampstands isn't just regular light either. He's talking about you and about me. He's talking about our saltiness and our brightness and whether we are really what God has made us to be. All through this time after Epiphany this year, I've been looking at these Scriptures from the lectionary that focus in on themes of mission and calling and sharing the light of Epiphany. Way back almost a month ago now, I I was reflecting on that original call, that, that announcement of our belovedness that God declares in our baptism and then sends us forthwith just as He sent Jesus forth and commissioned Jesus on that day into a life of mission and ministry. We were reminded then, just as our new bishop reminded us this very week in her installation service, that our baptism is at once a declaration of who we are and of whose we are at the same time as it serves as an ordination service of sorts a consecration into the life of the people of God and into the mission that comes along with that life. We talked, in other words, about making salty salt. And then the following week, I preached about what goes into living and sustaining such a life like that. If you recall, there were those three C's that I talked about, calling and charism and connection. Getting in touch with God's purposes for our lives, first of all. Second of all, discovering God's giftings and equippings for that life. And then third of all, and maybe most important of all, is then the maintaining of that ongoing life-giving and prayerful connection to our source, whose work this is, after all, and whose strength we need to carry it out and to grow fully into the people that God has called us to be. And then the week before last, the week before Wanaki Sunday, we looked together at the call of those very first disciples 
how Peter and Andrew and James and John were called to lay down their nets right then and there and to follow Jesus way up there into the Galilee. Secular Galilee, if you remember. Leaving behind the safe confines of Judea where most people believed the same thing and dressed the same way and and had similar customs to one another. No, Jesus ventured up and out of that place and up into the place where Jews live close to Greeks and to Syrians and to Romans where the world of their day all came together and mixed together by virtue of those roads that we saw that day in the map and, and brought so many different people from so many different places into such close proximity with one another. He's made salty salt, you might say. He's taught that salt how to sustain itself. He has called that salt to go out and to be salty way up there, and maybe especially up there in places like Galilee. And today, today we meet Him reminding His disciples of the importance of this core principle, this core reality of our life and of our very existence. Hey, why is it, do you think, that it's so very important for that salt to remain salty? and for that oil lamp to shine brightly in the first place. A few years ago, I tried out this diet at the recommendation of a, of a longtime friend of mine. It was, it was one of those diets that came along with its very own cookbook, and, and, had, and he, this, this friend of mine, had lost a ton of weight doing this diet. So after I gave it a, a close look, this the diet had a, a regimen that made a lot of sense to me and, and didn't really have me giving up anything in particular, just which I, which I thought I could do, and in fact, I, I did. It was really just sensible eating, portion control, get to the gym a couple of times a week. And it came with a timeline. Three months. Just do this for three months, it promised, and see where you are and see how you feel. Well, I said to myself, I can do anything. For three months, I think, and the results that my, my friend experienced from this diet were undeniable. And he had wrestled with weight control his entire adult life. Well, one of the things that I remember most distinctively about that diet was that there was virtually no salt in anything. No salt. I mean, no salt. It was probably the bare minimum of salt that you need to survive which was something that shocked my system at first. I hadn't realized until I started that how much salt was in my diet. Because now there was none. After a week or so, I started to get used to it and started to feel pretty good. It was super inconvenient, of course, because everything I soon discovered has tons and tons of salt. Sugar as well. That diet allowed me a day off once a week, and for me that was usually on Sundays, and so that was the one day of the week when we would usually go out as a family and, and eat dinner out uh, together, and I could have whatever I want wanted. Well, as one month turned into two months or so, I was losing weight and feeling good. I was in the gym several times a week and drinking tons and tons of water. 
And I started to find myself just not wanting to go to my old favorite restaurants anymore. The further I'd gotten into this diet, the more food, the more the food that was off diet on those off days for me struck me as way too salty. Way too salty. And really, the saltiness was the thing. I couldn't enjoy the food at those places anymore because all I could notice was the salt. Boom, hamburger, french fries, soups, even the salads, anything. All I could taste was the salt. Way, way too much salt. Well, I did give it the full three months, and I lost something like 25 pounds, I think. But, but to this day, the biggest impression that that time, that three-month span of time made on me was that imposing overwhelming flavor of salt. To this day, I use salt lightly because I get flashbacks to that weekly experience of salt overload. Way too much salt. The salt was imposing. It let you know that it was there. It was the only spice that mattered to me in my experience of food. How much salt is there in this? Not cinnamon. Not chili powder, not even cayenne pepper. The salt. The salt was what always revealed its presence to me most powerfully for that three-month stretch of time. You know, it is Christ's desire and design that the church, as the salt of the world, would make such an impression as that. And that, primarily, through the ways that we live. The Sermon on the Mount, where our passage today is taken from, is, is all about the ways that we live. It's about kingdom living. And the way that that living might speak a witness of its own to what Christ has come to do in the world among us. The Sermon on the Mount is about Christ-centered lives bearing witness to a new birth to the transformation taking place in your heart and in mine. The salt of the earth and the light from the lampstand, the city up there on that hill, what they have in common is that they put on display and through their very existence testify to what God is up to and what God still wants to do through us in the world. This is not simply a sermon about ethics. It is a sermon about what the Jesus-shaped life looks like. What lives that have been formed in Christ's likeness start to resemble, and most importantly, how they shine forth a testimony to the living reality of Christ's ongoing life in the world. These lives, as you can recognize plainly from the Scripture reading today, are radically different lives. Jarringly different. They're countercultural. They command attention. Listen to what Jesus says here as He fleshes out what He means by calling us to be salt and light, a city on a hill. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish 
the law, or the prophets, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking there about about lives that fulfill the purposes of the law of Moses, that we would live in right relation to one another, as well as with God. He's not giving this people permission to live lives of of cheap grace that relate to grace as if it were just a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's calling the church to be the living, breathing salt of the earth. Stanley Hauerwas, who's a very famous Methodist theologian and ethicist who's now retired from Duke University, once observed an ironic and somewhat tragic shift that took place when, when Christianity first became legalized and established throughout the Roman Empire under the Emperor Constantine. He wrote this. He said, the shift to normalization, the shift to legalization of Christianity had dramatic results. Before Constantine, it took exceptional courage to be a Christian. After Constantine, it took exceptional courage not to be a Christian. Before Constantine, yes, the church was often persecuted at times, but but during those persecutions, saints stood boldly and walked publicly in their faith, making a powerful demonstration of the work of God in their lives. The church was still making martyrs whose witness and stories were told across the world. After Constantine, we find far fewer martyrs in the West and far more nominal, conventional Christians whose lives barely tell a public story at all. Powerful. Convicting quote there. It makes one think twice about how good a thing established Christianity is especially for the church. Especially if the inevitable result, as Hauerwas says, is to rid the world of compelling Christian lives, leaving only conventional Christian lives. Leaving salt that is decidedly less salty. What does salty salt look like? What are the characteristics of those lives that that through their very existence, their very presence, command attention and tell a compelling story of God's transforming work? I think they must be lives that are absolutely focused and clear about letting God's transforming work be done. And not in easy ways, but rather in lives that are really, that reveals really difficult work in us. Lives that are ridding themselves and, and working to overcome trenchant human tendencies and behaviors. I'm talking about basic broken tendencies of ours, like our tendency to, to hold on to hatred and resentment rather than to seek a hard reconciliation and forgiveness. 
Talking about our tendency to, to hold on to our broken ways and our broken ideas and to retreat into that mode of self-protection that, that, so that no real hard work can ever get done. Being salt, you know, calls us to let go of that and to make ourselves available to what God wants to do in us, not to protect us in our brokenness. I'm talking about ridding ourselves of our natural tendencies toward tribal forms of hatred and and grouping of ourselves that run counter to God's plan for a restored humanity. Who are the saints today that are praying, God, rid me of this nasty racism. Rid my heart of it. Rid me of this homophobia and of this sexism and of all the rest of that hatred that tempts me to believe that people are my enemies because of who they are. Where are people praying to God, rid me? Rid me of what's in my heart. Would that the saints of today could be so vulnerable and open their hearts that wide to God's work. That would be a convincing testimony to the work of God in the human heart indeed. What about becoming people that are resistant to the temptation that's swimming all around us everywhere we go in our culture today to operate out of anger? and out of grievance, and out of resentment and fear? What if we gain the presence of mind to recognize that when it appears before us so that we can resist it in ourselves and be peacemakers and reconcilers instead? Instead of letting the climate of our time poison our hearts. I think that would be salty living today. Don't you? I think that would at least be recognizable and somewhat strange. I think that would beg questions in people's heart. What is going on there? I think it would testify to the work of a living God. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.